0: Welcome to Omega Mail, Episode 5. I'm your host, Daniel McKenzie, and this one is of particular significance to me, as my featured guest is Lisa Romero, whose profound work as a meditation teacher and self-development guide I have personally benefited from for over 10 years now in various workshops, study courses, individual consultations, and more recently, collaborations like this one. Lisa is the author of a series of inner development books, all of which are informed by her own background in Anthroposophy, and whose topics range from meditation to sex education to community development to the somewhat controversial use of consciousness-altering substances in the pursuit of spiritual insight. Uh, With regard to the theme of this podcast, Lisa spent several years lecturing on gender studies at the Rudolf Steiner College in Sydney, Australia, and she has presented on the topics of gender, sexuality, and spiritual life for over two decades. Lisa's primary internet presence is located at innerworkpath.com, um, but you can also check out some courses that she has been offering at educaredo.org. That's E-D-U-C-A-R-E-D-O dot org. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I guess we'll officially begin. Uh, Of course, I'll thank you first for sharing your time and your wisdom. It's always such an enriching experience for me to talk to you and it's so delightful to be able to share it with other people. So thank you, Lisa, for joining me. So I guess I should begin with the disclaimer. I acknowledge that it's difficult and maybe even pointless to talk about men and men's challenges and men's issues without the implied context of the rest of humanity, women, children, anyone who identifies as anything. So that is not just, I think, a welcome context for this conversation, but a necessary one. And the focus is on on men. So I wanted to start with a quote that I find interesting. And I think that'll lead into the, the opening question. So here's the quote. The old ideal of manhood has grown obsolete and the new is still invisible to us and we grope after it in darkness, one clutching this phantom, another that. What's interesting particularly about this quote is that it comes from a Scottish philosopher named Thomas Carlyle, and the year was 1831. And so what just the timestamp of that quote says to me is that it's not exactly new that people are grappling with what manhood means or what the role of men in society is and all that. And at the same time, we do seem to be living in a period of intensity with regard to relations between the sexes and with gender and, and particularly with men. If we just consider the revelations that came about through the Me Too movement up through the present and uh, the present day, what's happening in Iran, where women are finally you know, rising up against the oppression of men. And so I think it's an interesting diving into the deep end to just very broadly ask you, how would you characterize this particular time period within the context of um, what men are dealing with or doing or this particular focus on male uh, behavior and the reaction to it?
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to meet any question today without being aware of the sensitivity of the times, but I also think it's important to really meet these questions with as much scale of insight as possible. And from my point of view, that has to include the spiritual dimension of not just the times, but what's happening if you're incarnated into a male vehicle body or if you're incarnated into a female uh, body. And that, I think, adds to this complexity of this moment because on one hand we could say that there is a need to find a right relationship to responsibility. And I really stress the right relationship to it because um, the way we work with responsibility is, in a certain sense, so materialistic. And if we contemplate something like Rudolf Steiner's philosophy where he says it's the destiny of every man to be a woman and the destiny of every woman to be a man, and we really think about that spiritually, then, you know, when we point our finger and say, you know, it's the men's fault, then the women have to also say, but we were also the men. And that picture takes us into this very different way of saying, if I have this incarnation as a male, what is my right relationship to the responsibility of that at this present time? And The other aspect, which I think a lot of us are facing in this age, and we're all facing this, but perhaps men are facing it slightly differently. And, of course, not all men, because when we say men, we don't mean everyone, because there's so much variation in the experience. But we're all facing this realisation that the spirit, in the various ways that we understand it, is needing to come into a deeper relationship with our world, with our inner world and with our outer world. Now, that spirit is different in different people's eyes. It could be love. It could be um, your divine ideal. It could be morality. the good. But I think that's the other aspect that we're all sitting with at the moment is waking up to the forces ruling the trajectory of humanity and wondering whether the spirit's actually going to come in to play and make a major shift for us. And how that happens is in and through us. And for me, the really interesting thing is the power of which a man can play in that part, that the man can play that part in a different way because of where they stand in relationship to earthly substance.
0: Could you elaborate on that a little bit? What distinguishes what is different for men in that regard? What do you mean about this relationship to earthly substance?
1: Yeah, so, and of course, this comes from a much broader philosophy. And for some people listening to this, they will say, oh, that's just ideas. And certainly, Most things are ideas, but does the idea have something behind it that that has a truth or reality about it? And so it's said that when you incarnate into a male body, the bodily vehicle allows the soul spirit of the individuality, the soul spirit which is neither male nor female, but as it incarnates into this bodily vehicle, it allows it to dive deeper in and unite with the bodily processes, the forces of the material world in a stronger way. And incarnating into a female body, of course, one incarnates, one feels very present, one's here, but the soul spiritual can have a labile nature to it. We see that in the menstrual cycle, the sort of coming in and the lifting out, the movement that's possible. And in that labile capacity, In the female body, the soul spirit has more flexibility in still being able to access the spiritual world more naturally. Now, that's not to say that men do not access it, not at all, but what it means is that you can see it for yourself. Go to anything that's about spirituality in general and the audience is going to be more female in general of course, if it's a particular type of spirituality, it might draw something else. And that's partly because it resonant, it's resonant to this um, soul spirit that's not as body-bound compared to the soul spirit that can be more body-bound. So there's an interesting power in that because it means the activity of what comes in and through that soul spiritual life can engage into a relationship to the world with more oomph. <laughs> in there, in lies the power of responsibility. I wouldn't ever say you've got to be responsible for what every man's ever done. That's crazy.
0: So so there's a few aspects to this. One is, as you've written about in your book, Sex Education and the Spirit, which I would recommend to anyone who's interested in human sexuality in general, um, and in particular, how, how children are raised uh, from a spiritual point of view. But you wrote about there. The difference in how boys and girls are culturally raised, you could say social biases that are imposed upon children where boys are encouraged to sort of toughen up and have boundaries and be assertive and and not cry and be emotionally stoic and women are more, uh, have been traditionally, so obviously this is changing. But there's this difference in the way, an imbalance in the way that boys and girls have been raised. Uh, so there seems to be a healthfulness in moving towards a less gender specific way of raising children. And at the same time, you're saying, well, there is a difference between incarnating in a male body and in a female body. So I'm wondering and trying to tie these two ideas together, is it such that the power that you're talking about that comes with being temporarily in what you're calling a male vehicle, the power to kind of enter in with that oomph into uh, certain kinds of tasks and initiatives, Is the shadow side of that the thing that makes men generally more responsible for physical violence and sexual transgressions? I mean, you know, if you just look at it objectively, those kinds of acts are overwhelmingly associated with men and male behavior. So I'm wondering, does this kind of power that you're talking about also carry that shadow side? And is the more balanced approach to how boys and girls are raised something that can help offset that
1: Well wow well, let me <laughs> I do I do talk about this in the book and it is good to sort of verbalize it. When you just bring it down to the um, the power of procreation, now, you know, a female is 500,000 eggs, enough for a whole lifetime. And, you know, once a month, the largest cell of the, of the human body comes down the fallopian tube and may or may not get fertilized. Whereas the male is what? A crazy amount of sperm being produced every day.
0: Millions and millions. So
1: if you have under 80,000, you're seen as infertile. And so per ejaculation. So we're looking at, this force of procreation which is extraordinary. And now when you've got a vehicle that has that much creative potential in it, you also have to learn out of yourself to work those reins with a level of responsibility that serves the good, the true, the beautiful, the divine in the world and your divine ideals, So you know, to have all that power and all that potential and to have it misplaced is really dangerous for society. But to have it placed is so sort of potent for society. And so I'm really thinking this time where we're really grappling with the need for more spiritual truths and wisdom to stream into our world that men that have the right relationship to responsibility can actually use the potency that lives in them for good, for the power of taking things forward, for the creative process. And it's not to say women can't use that power because they have extraordinary potency in their body in terms of being able to step back and let life unfold within their own bodily nature. But it, it has a different... Relationship in a way she's got to learn to be able to give way to this other being that comes in her body, and that capacity for devotion to the other is a spiritual quality. Women are more naturally able to do that because of the bodily vehicle, and therefore how the soul spirit relates to it. It Does not mean to say a man can't be incredibly devoted, it doesn't mean to say a woman can't be. incredibly creative and capable but the powers that lie in these bodily vehicles we need to find ways to bring them in service of the good the true and the beautiful in the world and when we don't know how to do that or we've been damaged in our relationship to grow healthily and wholesomely into life then those powers get distorted and well if you've got more power to be distorted then it's going to have more create more problems for the community
0: okay so i feel compelled to kind of jump in here to clarify for the audience and and thereby preempt any kind of outraged misinterpretation of this very esoteric thing you're saying it sounds to me like you're not saying that men are inherently more powerful but that men because of their particular nature of their biological setup uh, have access to a certain kind of power manifesting through material, whereas women have a certain kind of predisposition uh, of access to the spiritual world, and that this is not categorical or mutually exclusive, that these are kind of tendencies of the male and female incarnations. Is
1: that right? I using this idea of men having more power, but I'm talking about a biological procreative power that allows them to engage in matter in a different way. We shouldn't think about this in terms of the soul spirit. Again, to go back, it's the destiny of every man to be a woman and the destiny of every woman to be a man. And so you're just you're living with your individuality into a different vehicle. And the vehicle is going to give you a totally different learning. However, that's not to say that everybody's comfortable with the vehicle they've been given. That's not to say that the vehicle matches up to the soul's spiritual um, intention to bring themselves into the world, and then that you know that's a whole other conversation we can have about why that can happen right. from a spiritual perspective. But I think this is these two points of the right relationship to responsibility and our deepening um, commitment to bringing the spirit into the world helps us all. But for men, I think it's a very difficult thing to navigate when you're already being given this responsibility that weighs you down, instead of a responsibility that gives you the inspiration to go forward.
0: So if I were to attempt to reduce what you've just said without taking it away from the esoteric, but just trying to make it simplified, it sounds like you're saying men and women biologically in whatever particular incarnation they're in have a particular energetic disposition that's connected to the type of body. And that we also have our truer spiritual nature and we are tasked with the responsibility of using our spiritual idealism and sense of purpose to govern that which we've been given biologically. Is that a fair way to put it?
1: That's one way of putting it, and to add that those differences overlap so that for some men and so some, some women, you're not gonna feel that difference very much at all, if at all, and for others, the differences are clearly uh, different. And that's part of this controversy of talking about a subject like this because um, there's so many variations that not everyone can find themselves in a single picture. But it's good to just try and still look at the overview and sometimes not to find stereotypes but archetypes that allow us to begin to understand some of the questions that are arising, particularly the difficult questions that are arising at our times.
0: Well, that actually gives rise to a kind of challenging question for me, which is, given the archetypal nature of a male incarnation versus a female incarnation, in contrast to the picture that you're also offering, which is we're in a time, really, where people are becoming more and more individuated in ways where, as you say, you could say that people are frequently diverging from the archetypes. And so there are a lot of women that are taking on societal roles that used to be culturally assigned to men, and there are men taking on societal roles that were typical for women. So if we consider this observable cultural evolution that's currently happening, of the social and occupational roles of men and women becoming increasingly blurred or even exchanged, as technological innovation and social services uh, leave us less and less bound to the physical limitations uh, or, or natural dispositions of our biological bodies. Would you say that those archetypal distinctions you're describing with regard to the difference between a male and a female incarnation, are those fixed throughout the eternity of cultural changes, or are those themselves actually evolving and changing as well.
1: That's definitely changing. No, but we have to understand that it changes because of the growth of the soul spiritual being and the body and the bodily vehicle will reflect that growth and change. Now, again, we have to be aware that in Someone may take up a life that appears very one-sided because that's actually spiritually an essential learning for something else in the future, a future incarnation. We can't say that someone that's really male-male or female-female is actually got a one-sided experience of life, not at all, because we have to take the view of the individual over lifespans and not many people can do that, although more people are were waking up to the recognition of past incarnations and and will continue to, to come into that awareness. So the more we identify ourselves with our I am consciousness and our soul capacities and the less we identify with our bodily vehicle, the more we are going to work out of that realm of trying to bring wholeness to the inner realms of our being. However, it's sometimes really essential for someone to identify more strongly with their body. And this is what I think is so important today, is to know that the journey that I'm having to unfold my spiritual capacities, reality, and deepen my relationship to the spiritual world may be entirely different for someone else. So for, for you, it may be incredibly important to have this maleness as a central part of your life, the colour of your skin as a central part of your life, the, the, the relationship to your task as a central part of your life. It may be all a part of it, and I can't negate that, even if, for me, being male or female really is not so central. But that doesn't mean to say there's any right or wrong in that. On on the other hand, we may say that the body becomes in the future more a picture of the wholeness of the soul spirit in the very future. So there is all of these things on the move. So in our society, we should see an entire range of experiences and all of them have to have their rightful place, those that really want to hold in to this uh, life and everything that is external as being the most important thing, that must be something to do with their learning. We have to have faith in these expressions. Whereas, you know, and so I, for some people, getting their gender terminology correct is really important for them. For others, it's just not important. we have got this cultural conditioning, but if we try and peel, peel away some of that and actually just really see the expressions of these, you know, the extraordinary diversity of life and the experiences, then we can start to say, that's fascinating. This is just so interesting. Now, we're still trying to progress as a humanity and we're really still trying to build more love in this world. You know, what is more godly or divine than love? What is more human than love? You know, what, that is the thing that where we meet, where we meet the gods. And so we can't just say let's just be interested, but can we be interested in a way and still go forward? towards love and instead of interested, but really just going round and round in circles.
0: You've anticipated my question. And I think this is sort of where the idea of the whole Omega male thing came from. This idea that we are evolving towards something a maybe more idealized version of humanity. And you sort of gave a hint at that where hopefully the future of humanity brings humans into an expression, a more true expression of the balanced nature of the spirit. But you're also saying along the way, it's not just about the destination, it's about the journey. And the journey that we're in is one of many varied experiences. And what permits this progression towards the ultimate ideal is the acceptance along the way that everybody's having a unique spiritual experience and biographical experience. And it's love that can guide us into a truly expansive acceptance that we're all having these different journeys. So it seems to me that the cultural reflection of that is one of what people used to call tolerance, but I think tolerance almost carries a sort of animosity to it like you're different and I'll tolerate you. It's almost like we're moving from tolerance towards something that's more truly loving, which is a celebration of of differences and an understanding that as you say, something that matters a lot or makes sense to one person might be completely incomprehensible to another person and yet it's all valid and it's all part of human evolution. So how does the tendency towards polarization in our time thwart this process of moving into love? What do you see as a path towards this kind of love and acceptance that you're talking about of all ways of being? Yeah. How do we get away from this polarization?
1: Yeah. Well, they're huge questions. It's interesting, this idea that in a given evolutionary time, you may learn different things if you've got a male body than if you've got a female body in your relationship to the world around you. And in a certain way, some of that is definitely changing because what you can and can't learn socially is opening right up. And yet that shift on that one level is not, revealing itself necessarily all the way in the world you talk about this word polarization and you could say that in the earthly sphere we work often with the idea of contrast what opposes what black and white you know the day and night light and dark male and female it's this realm of contrast and if we only work out of a point of view then contrast actually is the lens which we look through and then the next realm of which we work in spiritually comes under what I would call the law of similarities what actually do we have in common what makes us connected what unites us in a way what is the relationship that brings about the real dynamic or the real even usefulness of the contrast and so that lawfulness to move towards that is actually a beginning towards the third realm of awareness which is the connected to the law of unity or oneness but we have to go from where we are in contrast to similarity you can't jump from Contrast to oneness, the leap is too strong.
0: Okay, so this strikes me as really crucial. If we are trying to move out of the focus on contrast that the polarized culture keeps dragging us further into towards a kind of unity consciousness and the path leads through a focus on similarity, what does that look like in practical terms?
1: It doesn't just say let's find what we have in common because it's not just as simple as that on a social level. But it actually talks about our deep relatedness, how it's not even possible to think of the world as um, being what it is without the relatedness between these opposing or polarising forces, contrasting forces. So it's not that simple form of what do we have in common, well, we've all got this and what do we, you know, but more how significant it is. What comes into being because of um, that That law is an action. And as we grow into that law of similarities or law of relatedness, we can see the way forward. And we can also see why, with the rise of social media, with the rise of certain technology, with the separation of deep relatedness to others, the actual law of contrast has come up more intensively. And it's so easy to find contrast on the internet than it is to find deep relatedness and the law of similarity. Because so that requires real engagement with the other, real inquiry, real kind of peeling back all the different aspects of the vows that I carry and the vows that you carry. And that journey is what we really need. So relationships, relationships are like more deeper and deeper relationships. Now that doesn't just have to be with people, it can be with other Beings of this world, the, the plant world, the animal world, the mineral world, the non incarnated beings, the elemental beings, the angelic realm, there's a whole world of relationships waiting to happen. But we live more and more, we're getting pushed more into this contrast. But our pathway to get to that oneness, to get to that unity is to go through this law of similarity or law of relatedness. And so I think that in a one way you're using this word Omega Mal is a relatedness because you're taking it out of the alpha but through this sort of dynamic of relatedness to what's possible And so that's actually, even though it's about primarily for men, it's still trying to work out of that place. And that's all those things that are trying to do that are on the path. Anyone that's working towards relatedness is working towards the future. But when you're working to separate, divide and conquer the other, you're working out of the law of contrast and it will just create more pain and suffering because we have the potential of living otherwise.
0: In a few of your workshops that I've experienced, you've talked about how jarring and informative cultural differences can be. And so specifically with this idea of masculinity, you've talked about how in one culture you've observed that men basically have no physical contact whatsoever, and in another, you might see two totally straight men just walking along holding hands, or one man with his head in another's lap. And so these things really vary from culture to culture. And so our notions of masculinity vary considerably. And so what's the relevance of this concept of masculinity or femininity? Is there a way to use these terms or to consider these things that's useful and that's not sort of myopically biased by one's own cultural programming?
1: Yeah. Well, look, I will go from the lens that I work from. So in meditation, and medi-meditation actually is connected to this being in the middle. Really, this is an interesting thing. And this idea that we can awaken to something spiritual if we provide the right grounds for that to flourish in our being. So we have masculine and feminine that we talk about in terms of men and women, but in the soul spiritual realm, the eternal masculine comes under this, Quality of the healthy sense of self and the eternal feminine comes with this quality of devotion or capacity to be devoted. Um, And the unity of those two in the one individual, the healthy sense of self and devotion is what allows us to have the. Awakening spiritually. Now, it's it's very interesting that part of the the inner uh, activity that goes on through meditation is to have absolute attentiveness and at the same time absolute receptivity. It's like you're constantly going between bringing these two, which could be identified more with masculine and feminine. I think it's with men and women, but masculine and feminine attributes, particularly if you consider the yin-yang, but the masculine and feminine, bringing these two processes and uniting them in your own being. And in the uniting of them, then the third, the child, the the other, the third, the higher I, is born out of that. So when we see this as a soul spiritual picture and then you have this reflected picture in the earthly world where the physical body of the male and the physical body of the female, they unite, they those two forms can bring about an actual physical child, a physical vehicle. There is some echo. But if we go to the soul spiritual realm of the individual, we see that work is really for the one to work with, it's not about men get to work with a healthy sense of self and women get to work with devotion, not if you want to progress to the next step. What is the relatedness in yourself between healthy sense of self and devotion? And every student I work with really has to bring those into balance because they can't progress. They're like two feet of more spiritual development You can't hop your way across the threshold. You've got to have both. And it's really interesting to know what's more capable. So in meditation, the middle activity, if you can't surrender, completely let go and devote yourself to to what might be received from the spiritual world, you won't have any experiences. You'll be wrapped up in the consciousness of self. But if you can't hold the consciousness yourself and you do just completely let go into the spiritual experience, you'll have no recall. You'll have no nothing to bring back. I mean, you do that every night. You go to the spiritual world. But do you remember? So this necessity where you can move into other realms of consciousness still with the healthy sense of self but allowed to move because of the devotional <clears throat> capacity of the eternal family within, that is really a transformative process for an individual. And if they experience that in their selves, then it does have an echoing effect on how they want to live into the world. doesn't mean they diminish their masculine or feminine. It actually just means that they know not that it's an illusion, but rather it is the gift they're given and how would they now use that gift well.
0: So you've given this beautiful picture integrating these concepts about maleness, femaleness, masculinity, and femininity that offers, on the one hand, some insight into how being in a male body versus a female body may carry inherently different experiences to some degree. Uh, But on the other hand, that the masculine and the feminine, or, or the divine masculine and the divine feminine, as you've said, are actually forces available to people of both sexes and all gender identifications, right? And and you've illustrated that through this great example of meditative work, which requires, I guess, both the masculine sense of self, as you call it, and the feminine capacity for devotion. So is it fair to say that not only in meditation, but also in personal relationships, maybe in any and all Human endeavors, uh, somehow, this ability of any individual to harness and channel both the masculine and the feminine forces is helpful or even essential.
1: Yeah. And in a certain way, you could say that the first um, recognition of the power of the spirit in our lives is to be able to bring liberation, freedom to the parts of us that don't have any choice but to work in a one-sided way. So it's not that you, once you have this balance of this masculine and feminine which allows you to have this experience meditatively, that you will now only walk in the world in a balanced way, not at all. It means you are now free to choose what is needed now. In this moment, confront, in this situation, which force do I bring to the table? And then in this moment, confronting this situation, which force is required? Is it this power or that power? Because they're both powers, but they just work very differently. And they actually, you can learn in a certain way to bring what is missing in the situation. And therefore, you bring in the, the wholeness. And that type of freedom is really a... It's a type of liberation that I think um, people want to be free to do what they want with who they want, when they want, but ultimately there isn't the freedom in that. That's You're following the drive, but when you're really free, where you can actually bring what's required, what's needed, what's the most useful, what's the most loving, then there is something really deeply profound about understanding the possibility of liberation. So it's not like I'm gonna I'm gonna be balanced and walk through this world in a completely harmonious way and you won't know whether I'm this or that, not at all, although that might be the way it is for some because they can be working for another reason towards that. It's more that I have the op- option, I have the choice. And while you don't have choice, while you can only be this type of person, you have to try and learn why that is and try to do something about bringing that harmony. It's an interesting thing because even in, in the um, ancient mysteries, one of the first things a student was taught, not so ancient mysteries, but in the mystery schools, was to, to be in balance. Like if you're someone that always speaks up, can you listen? If you're someone that never speaks up, can you speak up? Can you have both the tools possible to you, even though you may use one more readily than the other? And if you don't have a possibility for devotion as a man, then you're missing something that is such an extraordinary experience. And if you do not have the possibility of a healthy sense of self as a woman, then you're missing something that's an extraordinary experience of being a human being in life.
0: Well, you have shared so abundantly, Lisa, and I am truly grateful. And I myself look forward to listening to this conversation several times to really absorb what you've offered here. But before we end, is there anything else you'd like to express?
1: Well, one of the questions I often ask myself when, when I'm unsure of something is I ask, what would love do?
0: I don't think we need to go any further than that. That's a beautiful way to end. So thank you very much, Lisa. Thank you. If you happen to be wondering what this amazing music has been that's been drifting in and out of this podcast episode, that's a song called Little Brother by a wonderful band called Living Roots. You can find their music at livingrootsmusic.com. I happen to have produced this record and what a great time that was. Here's one last thank you to Lisa Romero for dropping in with a decidedly esoteric and spiritually insightful perspective. Thank you, Lisa. For more information about Lisa's ongoing workshops and books, etc., check out innerworkpath.com and educaredo.org. That's innerworkpath.com and educaredo.org Lisa's books are extraordinary and her workshops deeply transformative. And by the way, I will be airing a part two to this conversation with Lisa in the weeks to come, so keep on the lookout for that. Thank you for listening. Please follow the podcast. Review it favorably if you feel so inclined. Email me at omegamailsays at gmail.com. And who knows, I might even start tweeting someday at at Says. Take care until next time.